The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 199 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are that of my own and not that of my president or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I hold, presently hold, or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. And that's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, if you haven't checked them out, please do. The Task Force 7 sneakers are out there. They're comfortable. I got to tell you, I love wearing them around. A lot of compliments. Check them out at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. <clears throat> They're meant to honor all those who run a crisis on a daily basis and to recognize that everyone has their own personal crisis. Our hope is that when you see or wear the TF7s, you get the confidence to run your own crisis and know you're not alone. At Task Force 7, we run the crisis together. You're part of the family. Check them out. Aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. Well, folks, I can't believe it. We're one episode away of hitting number 200. Unbelievable. We've been killing it for these last couple of years and really appreciate everyone's, you know, uh, <clears throat> listening you know, to us all the time. It's been just an honor to do this. And we're going to close out the 100s with a great guest for you tonight. We have Parandar Das joining me on the show tonight. Parandar is the co-founder and president of Sotero. Throughout his career, Parandar has been working on utilizing technology to solve complex business challenges. He uses a pragmatic approach that enables businesses to leverage technology to achieve business goals and power growth. He's built world-class organizations and has been on the leading edge of embracing new technology to help organizations transition their product and technology offerings. Parandar started, started Sotero with the conviction that today's data protection was deficient and that there's a better way, a better approach was needed to protect data. He's a firm believer that security, where the core focus is not the data, is not a viable option. He was recently the CTO at Info Group, and he was also the CTO at Epsilon, where he led the digital solutions organization. He's held leadership and management roles at a variety of other organizations and is a graduate of Texas A&M University. It's my pleasure to introduce co-founder and president of Sotero, Mr. Parandar Das. Parandar, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, I'm super excited to have you on the show, man. You've, you know, we were chatting, you know, before we went on air, you know, about just like some of our joint experiences. And man, you've got a, a, you know, just a breadth of knowledge, breadth of experience. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Uh, you know, before we get going, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of set the stage with, uh, you know, your journey and kind of what what brought you to, to uh, start up Sotero. Yeah, sure, Andy. I mean, as we were discussing, uh, I my background is marketing, uh, marketing uh, the marketing industry in general and marketing technology. I've had the 
the privilege of working at uh, some of the best companies out there, like Epsilon. Um, and and it, the background is relevant because what my job at Epsilon had to uh, was basically dealing with billions of consumer records that have sensitive information on them, right? Uh, I've uh, personally dealt with and I'm aware of the challenges of pre- uh, protecting or securing sensitive data at scale and in a way that it doesn't impact business. Uh, having seen those challenges, having experienced a personal breach of my own uh, back in 2017, kind of started to think about how tough it was for organizations to deploy data security at scale. The other aha moment at at the same time was that security was primarily focused on everything but the data. It's ironic because what organizations are trying to protect is their data or information. And security had evolved to be everything but protecting data. Focus on the perimeter, focus on application, focus on uh, authentication, etc. But there's really no innovation or no changes in how data was being protected. Uh, my personal experience uh, through the breach, plus also the day-to-day challenges of doing data security at scale, got me and my co-founder thinking about what could be done better. Uh, and we kind of evolved around this thing of saying, hey, let's look at security from the ground up, meaning let's start with the data. Let's figure out a more innovative and easy way to help organizations secure data. Uh, and also help them deal with all the complexities of data, right? When you think about data, it's not just sitting in one spot. Data is all over the enterprise ecosystem in many, many different formats, right? Moving moving data, making data accessible is critical to help companies uh, evolve and in, in, uh, achieve their business goals. So we kind of said, let's, let's look at this as an opportunity and as a challenge to see if we can come up with an approach and a product that enables organizations to simplify, but make their data security more effective. And kind of we become the, the, the final security product, right? Start with the data because that's what you're trying to protect. Everything else kind of is uh, icing on the cake, if you will. That's what led us to start Sotero. Yeah, I love it because, you know, your kids really key points, right? If you look at every, you know, I bet you 80, 90% of all the security you know, uh, PowerPoints that you see around someone's organization have data in the center of a bullseye with their concentric circles around it with the different layers protecting data. But then if you start to dig in and you ask them about like, well, what's your data classification or what, what you know, where exactly does my, you know, is that, that personal data sit and what in part of the environment, they can't tell you. <laughs> right. And so I, I love that you guys are tackling this problem because it's, you know, especially with the, the regulatory environment right now around, you know, privacy. I mean, it's really, like people need to know, companies need to know where PII sits in their environment and um, what they actually want to protect and where it sits. Like you just can't protect something if you don't know where it is. And uh, man, I love that. It's, it's a great model. Um, so when you're talking to security teams now, like, you know, is there any aha moment for them? Like, are they going, man, that's a, I mean, is this a novel concept to them? Because it seems like you were having to sh- revert back to data security companies just weren't doing it really well. So like, what's the conversation like with the, the, you know, security teams or your CIOs, et cetera? Uh, yeah, great, great question, right? I mean, the, the initial uh, reaction is one of skepticism, right? When we tell them we have a framework that helps them protect all of their data, regardless of where it's sitting. And second, that we keep it protected while the data is being used. They go, that's kind of 
contradictory and, and they look at us and saying that can't be done. Uh, so we tell them a couple of things and we walk them through our product. One is our key patented technology of enabling operations on data to be performed while the data is still kept encrypted or protected, right? That's what we have a patent on. That's the, the unique underlying technology foundation, if you will, for all of our uh, uh, products or platform. The second thing we tell them is, hey, when you think about data security today, you have a multitude of capabilities or products you use, right? Start with the basic one, data encryption. Uh, and that's good at limited data protection, meaning that it's good for protecting data while it's at rest. Doesn't do much or doesn't do anything at all when data is in use because you can't process or use encrypted data. The second thing is uh, encryption is very, very specific to the platforms that you uh, adopt or use. So if it's a specific version of a database, a database technology, you have a, a different encryption framework that you use. If you move data to the cloud, you have to uh, use another product. And pretty quickly, you're looking at a range of encryption technologies that you're not familiar with or you have to build expertise on, right? And then the other complexity is when you think about the different data formats, whether it's structured data, semi-structured data, unstructured data or files, they're all different uh, frameworks. How, how many capabilities and how, how, how many skill sets can you possibly uh, develop uh, to support all this? In addition to that, you have to worry about access management, key management, database governance and compliance. So now you're looking at, at anywhere between six to 15 products to, to adopt to give you a partial uh, uh, coverage or partial care security capability. We kind of walk them through our approach and saying it's one product that enables data security at its most granular and finest in, in that we keep data encrypted while it's being processed. The second thing is we help you consolidate or eliminate all of these capabilities that are all point solutions. Right, so you don't need to build broad skill sets in many, many different uh, uh, product sets or uh, technologies. We simplify or harmonize all of these capabilities across all of your data assets. Um, back to your question, typically the initial reaction is more of skepticism, but as we demonstrate the product, they're going, like, oh, this is really possible. Then they start to th start thinking about what the process who looks like for rolling the rolling this rolling Sotero out across all of their data assets. So, yeah, no, it's really cool. So every time I hear, you know, the consolidation, right, you're going to help simplify the tool set. I, I'm guessing you get this question. I'm curious to get it, how these conversations go is, you know, okay, what can I get rid of? Or can you, can you quantify like how many FTE I don't have to hire now? So everyone's always asking around the business case, how much of that are you experiencing as you're, you know, having to get companies to, um, you know, want to do, you know, want to do business with you and how much of that is a part of that conversation? It, it is a big part of the conversation, but it's a two-step process, right? One is when you talk about an innovation, innovative or disruptive product, there's this uh, uh, thought process of, yeah, it sounds really good, but is it true, right? The whole, uh, the old too good to be true thing. So there's an initial step of saying, let's do a proof of concept, identify a single use case in your environment where we can demonstrate that, that what we say is actually true and the product works. The consolidation, the, the, the budget efficiencies, the FTE efficiencies, uh, that becomes a part of how we help them plan and budget 
uh, for the broader rollout. So we help them and say, take a look at your access control, take a look at key management, authentication, your SIM, right? Governance visibility, differential privacy, data access management. Here's all the different uh, areas or categories that we can help you consolidate into a single framework. Uh, budget efficiency being, one, uh, efficiency being one of the pillars, but broadly think about how much more effective your security framework will be while you're enabling your businesses to move faster and achieve their business goals. So yeah, it's a two-step process. One is demonstrate some immediate uh, uh, capabilities and effectiveness and then help, start, help them start thinking about what their uh, planning and budgeting process looks like. I, I love it. It's way more left of boom and proactive than uh, let's just see how many <laughs> false positives we can get out of our DLP solution, right? Like It's like yeah. everything is to the right and you're just reacting. I mean, this is a very strong proactive approach. Um, well, look, look, I got so much I want to dive into. We got to take a quick commercial break. But I, you know, when we come back, man, I really want to dive into your opinion on like the status of security and what's going on with ransomware. But all right, folks, we got to transition to commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and we're right back with co-founder and president of Sotero, Parandar Das. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. 
X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-founder and president of Sotero, Parandar Das. All right, buddy. You know, we, we talked a little bit up front around what you guys are doing at Sotero. Now we're really going to dive in and see, you know, where things are going, right? The, this current state of security, you know, is uh, constantly in flux. The you know, organizations are constantly under attack. Ransomware right now is just, you know, <clears throat> just cross, cross border, cross sector, you know, just just hurting organizations, you know, every moment. So where does Sotero help uh, deal with the ransomware threat? That's a really uh, good question. Um, and um, obviously ransomware is, is, is a big issue, uh, right? I mean, and, and if you think about the evolution of ransomware, it's essentially a culmination of all of the, the capabilities that hackers or criminals have developed Right, it's a consolidation uh, play, and what's driving it is the the, the monetary uh, opportunity. There's just a this they've demonstrated that there's a lot of money, um, and they're applying the skills and the technologies to 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 go uh, uh, to go chase that. Having said that, ransomware. It, it, there's essentially two pieces to ransomware, right? One is they started out by saying we're going to make your systems inoperable or inaccessible. And we're going to hold you hostage to help you recover your systems. As bad as that is to, to a business from a revenue and a, a operational capabilities, that's just the start. They've since evolved from that and saying, hey, we'll also steal a copy of your data. And by the way, you're not on, your systems are not only inoperable, but your data is with us. So if you don't pay us, we're just going to go release your data to the wild. Right, and and obviously that's a bigger, longer-term concern than just recovering inoperable systems, because now your entire uh, information is potentially being leaked to everybody out there. What we are doing is focusing on a couple of different areas, uh, and we're working on a product that should be ready to be deployed by the end of this year. The first thing we want to do is eliminate the the possibility of an attacker accessing making a copy of your data and holding you hostage. If you go back to what I said at the beginning of the conversation, we have this capability of making data, uh, keeping data encrypted while it's being operated. So there's really no need for the sensitive data to be left in uh, uh, plain text or left in a way that uh, criminals or hackers can access it. The second part of the, the equation is actually detecting ransomware. We have an advanced machine learning engine 
that helps us uh, track and uh, profile every request that's going to the data, uh, whether it's on a file, whether it's on a, a relational data store, whether it's on a big data system in the cloud, we have the ability to, uh, to intercept and profile every request that's being uh, uh, applied against the data set. Our machine learning engine helps us detect patterns within milliseconds for those transactions. So we're using that as a preventive mechanism for identifying patterns that could potentially be malicious and putting a pause on those patterns before they can reach the data. We do that for everything. We're able to determine if a, uh, if a transaction is malicious or not within milliseconds, right? And be able to let the, the query move on its journey to facilitate a business process, or we're able to stop it and help validation or automatically identify that it could be malicious. So we're using a two-fold approach, keeping data uh, encrypted all the time so that anybody getting their hands on the data is not in a position to, to hold a company hostage. The second piece of it is the more uh, preventive, proactive piece of looking at every request that's flowing into that data uh, store or the data asset and saying, we're gonna check and make sure that every request is valid. Kind of this whole notion of zero trust, but we're doing zero trust in real time at the data level. That's our uh, uh, approach and solution for ransomware. Very, yeah, that's very cool, man. So, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, obviously the, the way you're solving the problem is, it makes a lot of sense to me. The other side of that is, you know, if you're going to be able to log and categorize all the different interactions with the data sets, you know, where are you in the spectrum of insider threat? You know, are, are you strategically helping companies deal with the insider at all? Or is that is that on the roadmap? Absolutely. No, it's a part of it. right? If you go back to what I said about zero, uh, zero trust at the data access level, right? we're not really assuming that anybody's privileged to look at the data. And we use a two-fold mechanism to validate that. One is the traditional access management uh, framework or rules-based, policy-based access management framework. Second one is even if you happen to be a privileged uh, uh, insider, we still force that uh, uh, request to be profiled to see if you're being deviant, anomalous, uh, or uh, stepping outside of the norms. Uh, that's the unconstrained, non-rules-based validation approach that helps us uh, uh, get a handle on any insider threats as well. Yes, I mean, you can't, you can't go anywhere without hearing zero trust. I mean, it's constantly being leveraged. And I think that's where a lot of investments happening, you know, from the, out of the venture capital community, because it's like the thing. Um, and, and it really revolves around access and access to systems. You know, your approach seems to be more around zero trust for data, uh, which makes a lot of sense to me. You know, what, what's that shift? Like, how are you implementing that, you know, across, you know, how are you navigating the zero trust for data conversation versus, you know, the regular zero trust, you know, conversation? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, zero trust uh, evolves from this notion of not trusting anybody at all, right? Uh, and, and that's proven to be a good approach. The challenge with zero trust is it's more at the access level and the application or the network level. This goes back to what I said at the very beginning of this conversation is if, if you don't start with protecting what you're trying to protect, everything else just happens to be a framework that doesn't really provide you the, the level and depth of security. Like I said, we, we, we're taking a different approach and saying, let's start with what uh, organizations are trying to protect, which, is, which are their data uh, assets. 
So we're kind of taking this whole notion of zero trust and enabling it or uh, enforcing it at the data asset level. Um, fundamentally, conceptually, not any different from what organizations are doing, but we're saying out at the network level is great, but once you're in the network, your data is still at uh, uh, risk. So we're saying the right place and the right focus for this is at the data asset level. That doesn't mean that this is the only solution you have to do, but it, this has to be a big part. And organizations are uh, acknowledging that, right? When you think about, like I said, the complexity and the challenges of applying access management and uh, uh, offline SIM analysis, or some analytics uh, in, in so many different places, there's just a lot of opportunity for latency and complexity. Uh, we're eliminating that latency and complexity, but also uh, enforcing this at the data asset level. It's a conversation uh, that, that is received very well. It's a, a, a new concept, but it's not something that they uh, haven't thought of in saying. The, the challenge that has stopped organizations is there's been nothing available to do this at the data level. Um, and, and we're the first ones out there enabling such a framework to be deployed at the data asset level. Yes, cool. So how, how do you envision like the security stack, you know, changing over time? You know, so Terra, you know, gets introduced into the market a bit more. This become this data framework becomes more established. Uh, or, you know, what do you think the security stack starts to look like in the future? That's really a great question. I think that uh, I will give you two analogies for this. Uh, one is access management. Uh, right. If you if you go back, roll back a few years, you would have had to remember multiple credentials to get into your company's network. Right. One for the network, one for the application, one for the file share, one for something else. That's not a scalable uh, and sustainable approach. Right. Access management uh, came along. Our identity access management came along, consolidated consolidated this, and provided a simplified way and more effective way for enabling access. Uh, if you think about it in a very different context, uh, what Snowflake has done in the data warehousing side, right, or the data lake, the data warehousing side, they've, focus, they've eliminated the focus on all of the operational aspects of uh, achieving results, essentially taking the infrastructure and operational aspects out of the picture for organizations, saying it doesn't matter what, uh, how much data you have, what uh, what format the data is and how uh, how complex it is. We'll just give you a framework for uh, uh, storing all, staging all this data so you can focus on analytics or business outcomes. To your question about where we think security is going to go, it's going to be the same. Nobody, there's been very little evolution or progress in uh, in harmonizing and simplifying data security. And it's not just data security, security in general. What we've seen on the data access man on the identity access management side is something that's going to happen on the data security side as well. We just happen to be at the, the leading edge of this uh, push. Broadly, I think there's going to be a fair bit of uh, consolidation and simplification. And by simplification, I'm not saying that the security capabilities or posture is going to decrease. It's just going to become simpler and more scalable to achieve the security results you want at scale across a whole uh, ecosystem, as opposed to having to deal with multiple point solutions. And we just happen to be, like I said, driving the the harmonization of data security. Yeah, thanks for sharing, man. I think it's it's really it's going to be really cool to see how things go because it's so complex, right? There's so many different tools that you know, and and then if you think about the talent part of this, you know companies are constantly having to train and retrain and, you know, get their, keep their workforce up to date, on all the technologies. I think we do, 
as an industry do a really great job of like investing in tech, but we don't really, you know, as an industry, like invest in the people, like all that is, you know, if you take the free training here, the free training there, um, you know, so that, you know, if you simplify the environment and you don't need to, you know, have to have the skills to manage and, and interact with, you know, 50 different technologies. I mean, that's, that's obviously a huge plus on the human capital side of, of this equation because um, everything does revolve around, around the technology from, um, you know, in your conversations with, with, with companies, I mean, where, how are they feeling about their ability to be responsive to cyber attacks or breaches? You know, do they feel like they're doing enough or, you know, do they feel like they're, you know, they're building the right programs or they come into you just frustrated? Like what's that look like right now? I think, so it, it, there's two uh, uh, challenges that they bring up constantly, right? Uh, the security, it's no secret. It's been underfunded for a long time, right? Security happens to be a operational cost, not necessarily reflected in the, the, the top line revenue or the bottom line profits. Uh, and it's viewed as something that's nice to have, do the minimum and get away with it. So there's a lot of frustration from security professionals about the level of investment the, uh, investments that have been made historically. Obviously, that's changing. Uh, whether that's changing fast enough is, is a question that still needs to be answered. Everybody from the administration, the Congress and, and senators are now pushing to put, uh, put more money into security budget. So that, that in itself should be a good, a good indicator of where things happen and where, th- where, where they're going. The second thing that, that they're frustrated about is uh, resources. Right? To your point, you said they're trained in this, they're trained in that. You contrast the skill sets of uh, people that are uh, in security today to the, the criminals that are actually uh, uh, doing all the hacks or uh, behind the hacks and the, the breaches, the skill sets are dramatic. There's a huge uh, gap. The, on the criminal side, they're probably some of the smartest, uh, uh, most skilled people that are uh, that are making that are, that are being innovative uh, uh, at the end of the day, right? In finding new weaknesses, new vulnerabilities, and figuring out how to to uh, scale them from a platform and a uh, and an attack volume perspective. The, the thing that makes it even more complex for security professionals is, as you said, you train somebody, they become good at something, what's the next thing that happens? They get a big uh, pay raise and get poached by someone else. Right. So it's a constant battle that they keep losing, right? They train people, they find really smart people, invest in them, and the next thing that, ha- that happens is they've left. So that there's, a, there's certainly a shortage of skilled professionals. So those are the two areas that we see a lot of uh, uh, frustration about. You know, it's interesting you say that. I remember my last my last cybercrime investigation before I left the government was uh, large, you know, really large data breach around the payment card data. And we had a cooperating defendant. We we're walking through this mall and, uh, you know, and we looked up at the logos on every mall, every store in the mall, and they had hacked into every one of those logos. We just kind of looked at each other, kind of this smirk, like, you see what I see? Like, yeah. <laughs> I do. And this person, he, he, he never, his formal education, I think stopped at sixth grade or sixth grade as yeah. far as he went yeah. in school. Uh, but he, he learned, it was self-taught, you know, in computers and, and coding. And he, you know, ultimately ended up being part of a, one of the largest conspiracies, you know, co-conspirators and, in, in you know, uh, you know, some would say cybercrime history, but it, so I just find it fascinating, you know, that this, you know, and at the time that, you know, data was, you know, 
you didn't have technologies like what you're what you're talking about, right? Where payment card data is flying around unencrypted, or if it was encrypted, you know, eventually the really sophisticated people were breaking that encryption, you know. So, but the the, the skills around folks is just it's such an interesting conversation. Um, it, listen, you're you're not only the you know building really cool technology, you also your CEO, you're hiring, right? Like you hire people. Like what what are you looking for? You know, in your in your workforce, you know, when you're when you're bringing talent on, not not just security talent, but just you know, what are the things that you as a, as an executive look for in, in the people that you hire? So, uh, I mean, I'll speak about our company uh, culture, right? I mean, a lot of everybody that we uh, that, that we interact with or uh, recruit asks us, what, "What's the company culture like?" And I say it's about two things for us. The two pillars to our uh, culture: one is integrity, and the other one is resiliency. Right. Integrity is a very, very broad word. Right. And that's a big part of our culture is that we want people to be open, honest, transparent in their dealings, both within the organization as well as the, the, the external aspects of it, uh, with our customers and prospects. What we want to do with our customers and prospects is build trust. Right. We want them to look at us as somebody that's an extension or somebody they can trust. Right. We're not just there to, to uh, uh, make a quick buck, sell a product and move on. We're there to build a, a relationship with them where they can look at us and say, hey, we can reach out and rely on you, not only when things are going well, but also when things are going uh, bad. And that's the same thing. We want us to be a team that can uh, uh, support each other internally. Resiliency, right? I mean, not, not just this job, every job, everything in life is, is about challenges and the ability to overcome them. We're not sitting here saying we're perfect, everything's going to be great. We are sitting here assuming that it's going to be a lot of challenges and, and problems for us to solve. We want, we, want to build, we want to build a company, a team that is full of people that are not afraid to face challenges and, and solve problems, right, collaboratively. So integrity, resiliency uh, are two key things for our culture. In terms of where we're looking to hire, technology, obviously, we're always looking for uh, folks that can come in and be a part of our technology teams and help us uh, uh, drive the d- disruptive product and pl- uh, technologies we're putting out there. Many different areas, right? Whether it's uh, Java programming, database knowledge, uh, uh, cloud-based development, cloud enablement, uh, UI work, we're looking for resources in all of those spaces. The other part is external uh, thing, right? Taking what we're doing, taking our message and evangelizing that. And that can be in one or two uh, uh, areas. One is marketing, right? Come help us get the, the messaging, uh, uh, be, become credible with the right people out there. Also, uh, uh, sales, sales, right? Obviously, as an organization, uh, we have to sell and we have to generate revenue. Come be a part of us, believe in our mission, uh, and, and help us uh, uh, attract new prospects, new partners, and new customers. Yeah, it's really good to hear. I mean, like, it's a, such an important part. You, you know, be, being a you know, trusted partner, having a relationship with the team and the companies you're selling to, you know, or the people you're selling to are just so important. It cannot be just, hey, come buy our stuff, we're better. It just got to be that stickiness from a relationship standpoint. It's really cool to hear. Um, you know, look, I, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from co-founder and president of Sotero, Parandar Das. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-founder and president of Sotero, Parandar Das. All right, Parandar, quick question for you. I, we got, we didn't get, I didn't get to ask at the end of the last segment because we we're, were had to go to a commercial break. But, you know, anytime you have like really strong engineering talent and, um, you know, you've got kind of non-technical resources in the company, which is in every company, but it, it, obviously when you're building products, there's probably a heavy uh, percentage of your workforce that's on the engineering side. Um how do you help bring the two kind of personalities together, right? There's different skill sets really means different personalities, like bringing all of them, the tech and non-tech together to, to create the culture that, um, that you're striving for. Uh, great question. Uh, Andy. I mean, obviously two different uh, uh, mindsets across those two uh, skill sets. 
Um, and each, for the most part, uh, if, if, if you don't have the right framework and the right communication, each one of them starts to tend to think that they're more important to the business than the other. Uh, what we do is, like I said, starts with our culture, right? I mean, we're, we're very, very uh, uh, clear on uh, uh, integrity. And then that integrity uh, also revolves around respect for each other, right? We make it clear that regardless of title, regardless of role, regardless of skill set, no one person is more important than anybody else in the organization. Uh, that's very clear, right? Uh, right when we uh, bring them on board to to our constant conversations with everybody in uh, team settings. Beyond that, we what we do is say what what I believe in and what we tell everybody in the organization is that technology is not just the reason we're going to be successful, right? There, there has to be a business problem that's being solved by the technology. And that we also need to be able to articulate what the business solution and what the business value we, we bring to the table is. And that can only happen when you combine both of those uh, uh, skill sets. Obviously, uh, uh, from a marketing perspective, it's easy, easy to go, it's easier to go sell a vision that technology can't deliver. Uh, conversely, it's easy to build a technology solution that the market doesn't really care about. Right. So we kind of emphasize that it's a combination of the two that's going to help us be successful. And equally importantly, that the, the customer facing, the market facing people are the ones that are going to help us make course corrections, right? We're, they hear directly from uh, customers and prospects as to what's working, what's not working, and what changes need to be done. So we, we are very clear uh, to our product and technology teams that we need to be extremely responsive uh, and collaborative with the market-facing people. Very cool, man. I love it. I mean, it's the thing I love about this industry is like you know, you, it, there's something for everybody, you know, and and the yeah, you've laid out, you know, obviously is is one that can can lead to some success. So I applaud you for you know as a leader to to with what you're saying. So so where do you see the future of security going? I, I truly believe that that. that Security, the security industry is just getting started. What the, the recent wave of attacks uh, and the criminals and attackers have established or, or made it clear is that there are just a lot of, vul- uh, lot of vulnerabilities. And in, in a very simplistic way, right, what they've done is, is uh, uh, made it clear that that siloed implementation of security is really not operational or scalable or functional. They, by their focus, on all of the integration aspects and the networking aspects of today's connected economy has actually been eye-opening because security products have uh, security companies have built products that are focused on siloed implementations. The the hackers and the criminals have just opened up everybody's eyes to the fact that we live in a connected world, right? There is no such thing as a siloed uh, uh, instance of data, siloed application. They're all connected in in ways that people even hadn't thought about. so harmonizing, rationalizing uh, security is, is going to be the key. Consolidation in, in a positive way. Consolidation, not as in eliminating products that have struggled. Consolidation of capabilities in a security platform or a security fabric, I think is going to be critical for organizations to, to, to uh, help face these threats and also to be operational at scale. The other aspect is the, the focus on data as an asset that needs to be secured. Uh, the old approach of saying, let's build uh, many, many uh, walls 
and not worry about the data because we really don't have a solution for data. Uh, that is not functional just because of what I said. The interconnected world offers too many opportunities into a, uh, an environment or into a network. Uh, focusing on the data and building out security from the data up uh, is going to be a key uh, factor in how the security industry evolves. Yeah, so it's interesting you say that the last part around the, you know, the data side of it because it, it's interesting to me because I think we're, we're being forced from the privacy regulators now, right? Like it's, it's happening. It's, you know, and it's because folks weren't able to implement the right security around data early. Um, and so now they're going to be forced into doing it. So this is, you're, you're kind of at the right intersection of, of market timing and need for your company right now with the, with the way where, where the world is. Um, so I wish you, wish you the best, but before, I, before I go, I'll let you go. Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask one question of you that I try to get folks that of, of you, like yourself. Um, what is the, what advice would you give future entrepreneurs? I mean, I, so in everybody's evolution as an entrepreneur, right? The, the big thing is confidence and belief, right? Timing Timing is difficult to, to, to predict for anybody in an entre- uh, entrepreneurial uh, life cycle because there are so many things going on, right? Whether it's financial, uh, social issues, family, it's hard to say when you start, but whenever you start, belief and passion are the two things that are critical. Uh, the entrepreneurial process is extremely challenging. Uh, as I say, there are more no's than yeses, and that's across the board, whether it's a prospect, an investor, it's a friend that offers to help you. There are always more no's than yeses. Believing in, in uh, yourself, believing in your vision is going to help you be successful. Uh, being smart about it in finding uh, the, the right people, being pragmatic as to how much help and support you get is also going to be a, a key part of the mindset in, in being successful. The final aspect of that, I think, is the, the investors or backers, right? Uh, take your time. Uh, find the right investor for yourself. And the right investor is not just, just a person with money or a, a company with money. It's about somebody that believes in you, both as a person and as a, uh, as a visionary, right? And that they're willing to back you through bad times. Uh, backing you through good times is easy. There are lots of people that are willing to do that. Backing you through the challenging times and, and being, a, being by your side as you uh, solve those problems, I think is critical. Great insight, my man. Will Perando, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. It's time for us to bounce upon out of here. Before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit us, the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Hey, folks, don't forget your to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your pair of TF7 sneakers. I'm loving them, folks. They're super comfortable. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.